Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Good morning. It's always a great day to be in the house of God with fellow believers to worship and celebrate God. It's going to be a great day. It's already a great day. Man, wasn't the baptism service that, come on, let's just give it up for God one more time. Let's praise him. Following the command to follow Christ, be baptized. Man, I'm excited. Today we are wrapping up a series in Joshua. We've been walking through Joshua for the last 10 weeks or so. We're actually wrapping up the series of Joshua in the book of Judges. Because the first couple chapters of Judges and the last couple chapters of Joshua are practically copy and pasted. So uh, they're pretty much the same. But there is a, uh, there is a necessity. I, 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 last week, I was going to preach last week's message this week. But I believe that it's better that we look at the necessity of building the next generation today on the eaves of what we just witnessed. We witnessed generational baptisms, people that that decided to follow Jesus and then turn around and baptize. Wow. And so we just got through this whole book about Israel going into this land that God promised them as an inheritance, a land that was so bountiful that they had had grapes the size of our heads you know like just it was just so bountiful the the bible describes it as a lamb flowing with milk and honey like it was just a bountiful land this was the promise that god gave them and he drove out their enemies before them he would he would stop up uh, rivers so they could cross on dry land he would he would collapse fortified cities with walls so thick that chariots could race on top that would be Jericho, without even swinging a sword, he, he sent down hailstones from heaven on their enemy and, and, and demolished more of their enemy than they did after a whole day of fighting with hailstones. And so, like, God drove people out before his people to give them this land. But then we step into Judges, and we start reading it, and there's this, there's this horrible thing that happens after Joshua passes away because we read last week about how the children of Israel vowed. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. And he says, he said, you got to give up worshiping the, the, the idols of your ancestors. You have to stop that. You have to choose to worship God wholeheartedly. You can't go after any of this other stuff. You have to worship God with all of you. And we just witnessed four people that said, I'm worshiping God with all of me. And, and suddenly they said, yeah, 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 we're going to do that. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. Yeah, we're going to do that. And Joshua said, you can't do that unless you give up idolatry. And, and what does idolatry look like for us today? Idolatry is pretty much worship of self. What do I want? What, e- even if it's like you elevate, say, a TV show or or a sports team, or whatever it is, money, uh, whatever. At the end of the day, it serves you. It brings joy to you. And I'm not saying that a Christian life is joyless, but 
idolatry today is all about me. And idolatry back then was all about them. They just happened to carve little statues and have literally make sacrifices. The sacrifices we make for idolatry today is time. We give things that don't deserve our time, our time, and we don't give God any time at all. And we like idolatry could be social media. Oh man, don't talk about that. How many hours a day do we spend looking at everyone else's highlight reel and then comparing our lives to their highlights? Man, what a what a tragedy. So Joshua says, you can't serve God wholeheartedly if you keep serving idols. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll serve God with all our hearts. But they never promised not to serve idols. Not once did they promise that. And so we're going to step right into Judges this morning. If you want to follow along, we're in Judges chapter 2, 6 through 23. I'm reading the New Living Translation, which is... Um, it might be a little different than what you're used to. Some people like the King James, New King James, NIV, all that jazz. Um, this, I like this one because it explains it as we go along, and I don't have to explain it quite as well. And also, it's written at a sixth grade level, so praise God. Uh, come on. I mean, I got a bachelor's degree, but it's out of Missouri. So, I mean, like, that's like an eighth grade level here. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. So Joshua just straight up told them, he said, because you have not obeyed God fully, God's not driving out any more people. And they're like, no, no, we're going to obey God. Joshua's like, dude, God said that he would drive out your enemies before you, but you have to obey him wholeheartedly, and you're not. He told you not to make covenants or treaties with the people living in this land, and you did. And they just kept breaking the, the, the things that God just kept saying for them to do. And God's like, okay, they're going to literally be a thorn in your flesh the rest of your life here in this land. And that's what we step into. And then he dismissed them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land that, um, land he had been allotted at Timnath Sirah. So the, I just got to tell you a secret. Some of you guys that have been here for a while know the secret, but when you're reading your Bible later and you come to a word that you can't pronounce, you got to say it loud and proud and no one knows the difference. Um, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After, the, the, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord and served images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt, they went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. They, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Asherah. So this is a big deal. Not only, like, this, this false god, Baal and Asherah, they're, they're a plague in Israel for the coming centuries. 
And they're so vile that they're a sensual God that they, they require all sorts of vile worship. Not only that, they require child sacrifice. And God does not like them. He, he understands that it just flies in the face of who he is as a father. And he, he abhors any idolatry worship. But this is, it's like they went from 180s. Like the, the, if you look into how vile these false gods were from Jehovah God in the Old Testament, who they served, the God of the Bible, it's 180. God always was a God that provided for his children, that loved his children, that, that poured out blessing on his children, that made a way for his children. And these gods require child sacrifice. They require vile things to get your way. If you have to do things to get to God, that's called religion. That's called law. And God, Christianity is the only, it's technically the only faith that we have on this planet where we don't do things to get to God. God did everything to get to us. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated. What a 180. Because now he, like God was with them, and he brought victory, just as he had warned. He said, if you do this, if you quit serving me, If you quit loving me, this will happen. And the people were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, because even as the Lord is disciplining his children, he always has grace in his discipline. He always has love in his discipline. So the Lord wasn't just going to be a mean jerk and just discipline his, the, the, the Israelites. He was like, you know, I have to do something to get them back to me. So I'm going to raise people up to lead them back to me because he loves people. He cares for people even before Christ came and paid it all for us. God was still trying to make a way to lead his people to his heart. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors, who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people. Who were, uh, who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. I did this to test Israel to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. That is why the Lord left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. Father, I pray right now, that as we move forward, I pray that you'll open every ear, open every heart, 
Open every mind. Lord, I rebuke every distraction in the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you, God, for what you're about to do through your word. Open us up. Do heart surgery on us today. Let us walk out of here more like who you were and less like who we were when we walked in. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have you guys ever been driving down the road and a cop pulls out behind you? Isn't it amazing when you see a cop, like, like, when you see a cop in the distance, it's an automatic brake check. It's like, whether you're speeding or not, you still tap your brakes just in case. Or, or you're driving down the road and then you look up and there, there, there's a cop and it kind of looks like, like a state trooper or something. Suddenly you're like just hitting the coast button, coast button, coast button, coast button, coast button, and suddenly you're... If you're changing, like you change lanes to get out of the way from in front of that cop, right? I mean, like you do not want that cop, fo- cop following you because I don't care if you drive perfectly; they're gonna find a reason. Like this is my head. I I I have nothing but respect for police, but I gotta say, man, I get so nervous. Like I'm a criminal around them. I don't know. I'm like I'm gonna get arrested today. I haven't even done anything. You know what I'm saying? And 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 so like. <laughs> A cop gets behind you, suddenly you're the best driver in the world. You go from setting land speed records to, to driving Miss Daisy. You know what I'm saying? Like, the cop, a cop's behind you, and you're like 250 feet exactly for that turn signal to merge into traffic to make this turn. Like, like it gets so bad. I had a cop following me the other day. I actually pulled off and went through a neighborhood just so he wouldn't follow me. Like, I'm just like, I get that nervous. Like, I just... I don't like it, but it's so interesting. It's so interesting that as soon as that cop, maybe he's following you for a mile or so, and he pulls off, and he turns around on the highway, suddenly how heavy your foot gets. It's like when, when you, if you're within like a quarter mile of a cop, your foot, you can't hardly press it against the accelerator. But man, the, that, that, that police officer pulls off, and all of a sudden it's like, Mwah! Like, I didn't even know my car could hit 110, you know? Like, it's insane. It's insane. That's what's happening in Israel. Joshua dies, and they're like, let's go crazy. The cop is gone. We don't have to follow the law anymore. There's these signs. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed them. They say speed limit. That's like the top end of it that you're allowed to go. If you exceed that, you break the law. And it's amazing how when there's officers of the law to enforce the law, we obey the law. But when no one's looking, it's amazing how we, well, well I mean, I just got a lead foot. I just, I mean, like, you know, I, I was in a hurry. There was this pastor driving across town, and he was in a hurry, and he had a rather large church, and he was going to a meeting that he did not want to go to. I mean, it was just one of those boring meetings, um, and he was like, oh. but he was speeding through town. He gets pulled over, and the, the, the officer is a member of his church, and he walks up, and he says, Pastor? He's like, you're kind of going fast through town. And he's like, is everything all right? And the pastor's like, yeah, everything's fine. I just don't want to go to this meeting. And um, the officer goes, have you been drinking? 
He's like, no, it's water. He hands him the bottle voluntarily, and the officer smells it. He goes, pastor, this is wine. He goes, ah, Jesus, you did it again. (laughs) But we so often, we so often follow God better when we think we're accountable. The Israelites served Joshua, or they served God while Joshua was alive, when the accountability was there. And they followed the law. But there was a disconnect because it said that, it said that the Lord raised up, it, said, it, said, oh, it didn't say the Lord raised up, it said that there raised up a generation that did not know the Lord and the things that he had done. So, I, start, I, I couldn't help but look at this. How does a generation that served the Lord under Joshua and then the, just the next generation raised up did not know what God had done? How did this happen? How did within one generation they go from serving God to complete anarchy in their relationship with God? And I, I can't help but think that there was a lack of communication in the household. There is a lack of something there. One generation didn't talk to the next generation. And we see here in this text, that's what happened, which is a horrible tragedy. For the church, or for the Israelites, to to experience all the goodness of God, everything that he has to offer. They got to see God tear down walls. They got to see God split a sea wide open. They got to see him dam up a river before their eyes. He got to see victory. They They got to see victory after victory after victory that God brought them. He drove out their enemies before them, constantly. And they didn't tell the next generation? It's it's like a disconnect happened. What does that look like for us as a church? Because there, there are some differences between us and the Israelites now. We, we aren't under the law like they were under the law. So um, by the law, what I mean is they had to make sacrifices to God Almighty to, to, to cover their sins for the previous year. So they would go and sacrifice a spotless lamb before God. And they would uh, sacrifice, literally sacrifice animals to cover sin for the previous year. But the problem with the law is the law could not make you righteous. So Paul actually hits on this in Galatians chapter 2. He says, in chapter 2, 18 through 21, he says, Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. What Jesus did, Jesus stepped in and he lived a life that none of us could live. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And then he died a sinner's death. The Bible says when he was on the cross, God poured out all the sin. 
God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. God poured all sin on him. He didn't just was a sinner on the cross. He became sin on the cross. And he died that death for us. And what that did to the law of God, which the law is good, because if it wasn't for the law of God, we wouldn't know what sin is. The law points out sin. It shows us that envy is wrong. It shows us that adultery and and lust is wrong. But what the law doesn't do is it doesn't offer any help to overcome the sins. So they had to make sacrifices under the law to cover their sin. But it never said, here, let me help you not do that. But when Jesus came into um, it, it, it stepped into humanity 2,000 years ago through the womb of a virgin. He lived for 33 and a half years, for 30 years of preparation, for three and a half years of ministry, for three hours of purpose on the cross to nullify the effect of sin in our life. When he did that, he nullified the law. He made it fulfilled. And so what Paul's getting at here, he said, don't rebuild the law. Don't quit trying to earn your way to God. You can't do it. He said by rebuilding this idea of making and works religion, because that's what, that's what the, the, the Israelites were under in Joshua's time. There were 613 mitzvahs or laws that they had to follow, ranging from how to wash your hands to what food to eat. They couldn't eat bacon, which is a horrible thing. I mean, I'm so glad Jesus died on the cross. Thank you, God. But when we try to earn our way to heaven, we're nullifying the cross. We're saying, Jesus, your cross isn't enough to cover my sin. That's why I got to do this. And what Paul's getting at, he said, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Your best effort on your best day to keep the law, God will condemn you. Because you can't keep it. You can't do it. You cannot keep the law of God perfectly. And the problem is, if you violate, you could keep 612 out of the 613. If you violate one, you're guilty of all. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Grace is unearned favor. You cannot earn God's love. It is completely unearned. He gives it so freely. For keeping the law, for if keeping the law can make us right with God or righteous, then there is no need for Christ to die. There's, so we're not under what they were under. They had all these laws to keep. But we still have a responsibility to tell. We have a whole generation that, raised, that served God, that obeyed His law. Then we have a whole generation that ran from God and served other gods. What's the disconnect? Last week, I, I mentioned how we got to step up to the plate in our, in our prayer life and just start praying. And we, 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 we had these little two-inch dominoes and how stepping up to the plate could be, God, I'm going to 
spend a little more time with you. God, I'm going to tell my neighbor about you and just pushing that two-inch domino over and seeing the domino effect go into, go into effect. And we talked about the domino effect a little bit about how a domino has enough energy stored up in it to knock over something one and a half times its size. So a two-inch domino can knock over a three-inch domino. A three-inch domino can knock over a four-and-a-half-inch domino. And by the time you get to the 18th domino, you can knock over the Leaning Tower of Pisa if you continue to multiply it by one-and-a-half every time. By the time you get to the, next, the 22nd domino, you can knock over the Eiffel Tower. And by the time you get to the 28th domino, you can knock over the Empire State Building. It's just that stepping up to the plate and just going for it. Just, just go. Push over that initial two-inch domino. And, and, and some of those two-inch dominoes that are here today is that initial prayer of salvation, saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sin, and see the domino take off. See it keep growing. See it multiplied. It's an amazing thing. Today I want to talk to you about stepping up to the plate in a different way. Because what this generation didn't do, they didn't step up to the plate. They did not pour in to the next generation, which is a direct violation to the law of God. Deuteronomy 6, 5-7, through 7, God tells His people, He says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. How are we going to step up to the plate today? I'm going to challenge us to pour into the next generation. We had a generation raise up It's so sad if you read the book of Joshua and see all that God has done for his children. And yet, within a generation, they're serving idols. There is a disconnect that happened between that and that. And it's because of that. They did not step up to the plate. They didn't make it a point to tell their children about what God has done. They they treated a relationship with God something as casual. We, 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 we use God when we need God. As, instead of God is life, and he is the only way. And letting, their gen, letting the next generation see a wholehearted serving of God. And I would challenge us today, every generation is responsible for reaching their own generation. But at the same time, every generation is responsible for pouring into the next generation so they can reach their generation. And if we aren't doing that in the church of the living God, well, this, is, this, this building, this body of believers right here is going to dry up. And we're not going to be able to do anything. We're just going to dwindle a number, but that's not going to happen because we are, we are launching life groups. If you're not plugged into a life group, we are actually launch life group. We're, we, we have life groups. Plug into a life group. The cool thing about our life groups is it's multi-generational. It's, it's, we have Stevie, 
I think you're the youngest par- person in our life group to, I don't know who the oldest person in our life group is, um, but how old are you? Not to call you on the spot. There's no way. That, that can't be right. Nope, that can't be right. <laughs> but 79 to 23, multi-generational. And guess what? He can learn from her and she can learn from him. It's that, that's what it has to be in the church of the living God. We need each other. We have got to have each other. And we're not stepping up to the plate. What does it look like to step up to the plate? Glenn, for you and Amy, it was to say, hey, when's your life group start? I want to show up. And you started showing up to life group. That's stepping up to the plate. Stevie, it was signing up for life group and, and stepping up. to. It was, it was saying, okay, I'm going to just come to church. It was this amazing thing, stepping up to the plate. But we have got to step up to the plate and be intentional multi-generationally. If we are not intentional about pouring into the next generation, we are missing the heartbeat of God because God cares for his children and he wants us to pour into the next generation. We've got to equip the next generation. I know I've been a youth pastor for the, for the last, well, for six years leading up to, to this. But I see it all the time. I had parents walk up to me and say, I need you to equip my students. And I would say, no, you need to equip your own kids. It's not my job. I will try to make disciples of them. But guess what? The greatest disciple maker in the home is the parent. And if you have people living with you and you're following Jesus, you are a disciple maker. And here's the deal. You're going to make disciples whether you want to or not. You might as well make disciples for Christ. Because guess what? Everyone watches you. People watch you all the time. They see how you react. They see how you respond. They see how you... And clearly, in the book of Judges, this generation saw a generation that served God, but man, it wasn't something that was contagious. Are we serving God in a way that is contagious for the next generation to want to be a part of it? Are we pouring into them? Are we telling them? What are we doing? I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. I'm not doing that. These are questions that we have got to ask because we've got to be a multi-generational church. We've got to be about the kingdom. We've got to be about saying, okay, I'm not going to be here forever. How can I raise up the next generation? To serve God wholeheartedly. To serve God wholeheartedly. Sometimes I think there's a disconnect because my sisters thought they were good with God because my parents were good with God. And sometimes we think that's the case. We think the next generation's good with God because we're good with God. But that's not. I want to give you a thought. And the thought is God doesn't have grandkids. And he never has and he never will. And we can clearly see that God only ever addresses himself and gives him the title, multiple titles, you know, our provider. But the main thing he addresses himself as is father. He's our father. And he doesn't have grandkids. 
And so we have got to be intentional about connecting. Connecting a, multi, a multi-generational thing. What does that look like for us? Well, I think God kind of spelled it out in Deuteronomy. What's on our lips? What's on our heart? Repeat them again and again. What are we memorizing? What's, what's in our heart? What's the overflow of our lips? And I'm not saying to do things as law. We're not under law. But there are principles here. The Bible does tell us to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. So there, there is this need to get into the word. But man, we can memorize every lyric to every country song that comes across the radio, but we can't memorize five verses of the Bible. Guess which one's life-giving? If you play a country song backwards, you get your dog back, your wife back, your home back. I mean, like... Get your tractor back. It's pink, too. But God's word is the only words that can actually give life. And God's word is the only book that requires the author to be present while you're reading it. You can read it as a book, uh, scholarly, and just go through it. Or you can just invite the Holy Spirit as you're reading it. God, I need your word to speak to me. The other day I was praying for Amy, she was having some really bad pain in her arm, and me and God had um, some conversations going on. I was frustrated. My wife was hurting. I've been praying for her for two and a half years, and she just had some health problems. And man, I, I pray for people all the time, and God heals them. And I'm like, why, God, why aren't you not, why are you not hearing me when I pray for her? What's going on? And obviously, that's the wrong question. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. I asked the wrong question to God. He was hearing me. And I, I was frustrated. I'm human, and I get frustrated. I get frustrated with my relationship with God. But the cool thing is, he's a loving father. And he doesn't throw us under the bus. He, he doesn't say, I'm done with you. And as I get done bringing my accusations before the Lord, I won't tell you what I said. Um, the Lord said, go to Micah 6.2. I'm like, and this, the, the, like, it was just a passing thought that went through to my head. It was just like this, Micah 6.2 just kept going off in my head. I'm like, does Micah even have six chapters? I mean, like, I didn't even, I don't know. And uh, I don't have the whole Bible memorized. And... Uh, and this other thought went through my head. Because I asked myself that. Does Mike even have six chapters? And then this other thought went through my head. It said, you'll never know until you look. I'm like, ah, you're right. So busted out my iPad, opened the Version app, opened the Bible. Went to Micah 6.2. And to paraphrase, it says, go ahead and bring all your accusations to God. But he has some accusations against you. And I thought, oh, man. Talk about hitting the nail on the head after the conversation I just had with him. I felt so loved and so insignificant at the same time that God would point me to a scripture that I read probably over a decade ago. 
that directly spoke to what I literally just did to him. Literally. It went from me laughing because it was so, so spot on with what I just did to repenting to laughing again and changing my approach. But that scripture never would have popped into my head. Maybe the Holy Spirit would have if I had never had read it to begin with. What are we pouring into ourselves? It's time that we step up to the plate. It might be that we say, God, I'm going to intentionally, like maybe it's just one chapter. I'm going to try to just memorize one chapter. I don't, I'm just throwing an idea out there. But we intentionally put God's word in us and see what flows out of us. We intentionally go after God through a prayer life. The average Christian prays less than two minutes a day. You go to the bathroom more than that a day. We give God less time than we give the toilet. And so it's time for us to step up to the plate. Because what flows out of our life when we spend time with God is life. When we give God our life, life flows out. It flows out and flows out. And guess what? That life is going to rub off on the next generation. It's going to continually rub into the next generation. And we'll, we'll unintentionally make disciples of Christ just by spending time with God. But it has to be an intentional decision to step up to the plate and say, God, I'm going after you. This generation and judges, they did not pour into the next generation at all. I, and I don't want to blame it all on the older generation. The younger generation had something to do with that too. Because there is, there is a decision that has to be made. Are they hungry? Because guess what? My parents poured into me and my family. They took us, they gave us every, or my, 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 my sisters, and they gave us every opportunity to go after him, after Jesus. But yet my sisters ran from God for a while. They chose not to hear. So there is this intentional decision that we have got to make to go, I want this. We can't, we got to understand that God doesn't have grandkids. You're not good with God because your grandparents were good with God or your parents were good with God. I had to make a decision to say, you know what, Jesus is Lord of my life. And suddenly he became my father. He was always there for me, just like these four people that we baptized today. They said, no, 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 no. I'm going to make a decision to follow Jesus to, like it wasn't today, it was several weeks ago, but I'm going to declare it publicly today. This is who I am. There's no turning back. I'm not changing my life. I am all in for Jesus. He is my Father. He is my Lord. We've got to make that decision. You're in, no one else can make, make that decision for you. We have got to give every opportunity for the next generation to hear it, but We've got to make that decision individually to say, I'm going to go after Jesus. I'm going to go after Jesus with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength. Because God wants a relationship with you.
We can't be satisfied. We cannot be satisfied with allowing a generation, though, to raise up and not having anyone to hand things to. One of the things when I was a youth pastor I always did was I had leaders in my youth group, but I didn't have adult leaders and student leaders. I had leaders, and I had four adult, technically they were adult, they are over 18, but I had a lot more student leaders, but I called them all leaders, and I would actually let my let the students who were leaders speak and preach, and I would try to cultivate in them this need to go after God. I would try to give them every opportunity for them, like because when they would speak, they would study the Word of God. They would, like, hey, Pastor Ryan, what does this sound like, or PR, whatever they called me. Um, I'm like, well, let's talk about it. Yeah, that's a good idea, man. Just go for it. And, and it was this amazing thing to see. And, and just by giving opportunity and actually living out what I preached before them, and it made them hungry for what God had for them. A generation rose up in Judges that wasn't hungry for God because they did not see a generation hungry for God, even though they served the Lord. Even though they served the Lord. We can't be okay with that. We got to... There, there are people in every person's life that, that is hearing this, that has younger people around them, maybe older people that can pour into them, that we can speak life into, that we can encourage to go after God. It's not about telling them, hey, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. No, 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 no. It's living your life out, letting God flow out of you, out of a relationship that you have with God. And pouring in. Far be it from the C1 church to not raise up a generation that's on fire for God. Far be it from us. I don't know what that looks like for you and your household. I don't know who's in your household. I don't know how far out of your way you're going to have to go to find someone to pour into. But we need to find people to pour into. We need to find generations to pour into. It might just be having someone over once a week for dinner or whatever, a young family that you want to pour into. But we need to do that. Man, for me, I tell my daughter stories about Jesus. As we're going to bed, I pray with her, then I ask her to pray. Every night, we lay in bed, and she goes, Daddy, tell me a story. So I bust out one of the ones out of the gospel about Jesus raising the little girl. Or last night, we talked about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And how Jesus took and washed his disciples' feet. And she goes, well, why did he do that? I said, because he wanted to show his disciples how to serve. He was making disciples. We're all making disciples. But we, are, are, are our disciples making disciples? Because that's really the, the true mark of whether you're a disciple maker. It's not whether you can make a disciple. It's whether your disciples are making disciples. And he said, go and do likewise. And I would challenge us today as we go this same kind of heart that my four-and-a-half-year-old has, ask these questions, why? And say, God, help me 
She's like, Jesus, help me. If she can say, help me, then we can say, help me, God. Help me serve. Help me make disciples. Help me to to pour into the next generation. Help me, God. Because we have a responsibility to pour up, pour in, to raise up. God's anointed us for this. He's called us to this. And we're going to be, we are a church that sins. But we got to send people into this into this community. And how are we going to send them into the high school? How are we going to send them to their job place if we're not a multi-generational church? There are things, there are things that you know in your mind that there are younger generations that need to know. And there are things that younger generations have that the older generations need to learn. Like how to operate an iPhone. I'm just joking. I'm just, huh? <laughs> no, but We've got to be about this. I'm going to leave us with a quote. And it's from Charles Spurgeon, who is a, a 19th century evangelist, preacher. In my opinion, he's one of the greatest evangelists that's ever preached the gospel. He's, he's still quoted to this day. And he said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Let's step up to the plate. If a generation is going to walk away from God, let it not be on our watch. We live in a society that seems to think in relative truth that it's, if it's true for you, that's your truth. And they ignore the truth of the living God. And I'm not saying we go out and just beat people over the head with your wrong. But the Bible says it's God's loving kindness that draws people to repentance. We need to go out and love and pour in and let this be our creed. Let this be our decree. Let this be our, gosh, if they're going to go to hell, it's going to be over my dead body. If they're going to walk away, it's not because I didn't try. We have a responsibility we're at, the, we're at the beginning of a whole decade where God's going to blow us away with what he's about to do. This year is going to be a year of rapid acceleration. I've said that over and over. Man, leading, I believe that I'm just going to tell you for Easter Sunday, I believe there's going to be 200 people in this room that's going to hear a clear presentation of the gospel and that there, there's going to be several people give their heart to Jesus. And we're going to have another baptism in May maybe even the end of April, to baptize the number of people that get saved between now and then. But it takes us now saying, I'm going to step up to the plate. I'm going to determine in my heart that people are not going to go to hell on my watch. It's going to be over my dead body. If they're going to go, I'm going to be gripping them at their knees. I'm going to be imploring them, not with not with legalism, not with law saying, you're wrong, you're wrong. No, it's Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. He wants a relationship with you. Don't ignore the love of God.
with every head bowed. Father, I pray right now. I pray right now that you grip our hearts. Some of us are going to go back into life. Lord, changed after hearing your word today. Lord, challenged, Lord, that we don't want to make the same mistakes the generations did in Judges, saying, Lord, let it be over our dead bodies. Let us pour. Lord, I pray right now that we walk out changed, that we walk out changed. If you're here today and you never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you didn't know that he died on the cross for you or, or that he is the only way to heaven. It's as simple as the Bible says, confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart and you're a Christian. And what do we confess? We confess that I'm a sinner. What does that mean? You can't get to God on your own. You're not good enough to get to heaven on your own. That's just the reality of it. When this life is over, we're going to stand behind, before a real God that's going to judge us. And if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, he's going to weigh everything that we've done. And guess what? You're going to come up wanting and you're going to come up lacking. But if we stand before God and we say, you know what? I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. God says, you're in. He paid your price. The price of a mission is a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's so much more than just a mission into heaven. It's life and life to the full. God wants a relationship with you here, and he wants to walk with you every single day. He cares about every part of your life. But I didn't finish telling you about my wife as we prayed for her arm. And it, she went from screaming into the pillow in pain. She said it was on par with, with child labor pains. That's how excruciating it was to completely healed, lifting it up in praise within 40 minutes. Because God cares about you here and now. He wants to be a part of your life here and now. And if you're here today and you said, I have not accepted Jesus Christ. I never said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again. What's going to happen is I'm going to be up here, my wife, and Nathan's going to be up here. And we want to pray with you. We want to make the introduction to God Almighty. Maybe you're here today and you, you say, Ryan, I, I just need prayer. I need prayer to, to help me. Pour. I have people in my life that I need to pour into, and I just need wisdom how to pour into them. I need, I need, I need clarity of, 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 of how, how to, to walk out this challenge to, of stepping up to the plate. If that's you. We want to pray with you. What I don't want to happen, though, is as we launch into worship here at the end, that we ignore the, 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 that those gentle thoughts that go through your head that say, man, just go up and get prayer. If you're hearing that thought, that's the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, yeah, this is for you. But the enemy steps in and he puts fear into our, 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 our thought process. Well, what will people think? Or everyone thinks you already have it together. That's a lie from the enemy and we don't want to listen to him.